oh, all this panic has got him scared. But believe it or not, you know, I guess it's kind of a God timing thing because uh, I really have my sermons are planned out pretty much six months ahead of time. So this just happened to fall. I had no idea that uh, we were in the middle of a pandemic or anything like that. But this one just happened to fall right in the middle here. So uh, um, but, you know, as I thought about again, God's timing is perfect, isn't it? Some of you aren't sure about that. Let's try that again. God's timing is perfect, right? Right. And uh, so we want to take a look at Revelation 22. I don't know if any of you like uh, mystery novel readers or like a good suspense novel. We had a few of you like that. Any of you get to the middle and you go, you know, I can't take it. And you just flip over the back of the book and see what happened. Anybody? No, that's good because if you're reading for suspense, you want to wait until the end. But, you know, maybe your schedule gets tight and I don't have time. I'm just going to see what happens and find out the butler did it or whatever. You know, but if... If you're reading the Bible, and if you flip over to the end, guess what? In case you hadn't figured it out, God wins. God wins. And here's the good news. Any of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, any of us who are God followers, any of us who are believers, guess what? We win too. Now, that doesn't mean that things are going to be easy. That doesn't mean that things are going to be smooth sailing. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. Uh, Because Scripture tells us that when you will have trouble, he didn't say if If you have trouble, he didn't say things are going to be smooth sailing, none of that. But the thing about it is when we think about our lives as as believers in Jesus Christ and we think about our lives in terms of the time here on earth versus all eternity. You know, you can live for a long time here on this earth. You, You may live to be 110, but that's nothing compared to all eternity. So whatever we deal with, whatever we, the troubles we go through, whatever we suffer in this life, although it may seem like a long time compared to eternity, is really nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. So when we stop and think about preparing for our future, we need to think about not for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years here on the earth alone, uh, which is good to plan. There's no, no, no bad thing about having a plan for a future. However, what we need to think about is beyond that. What does your future in eternity look like. And so that's why we today, are, uh, our sermon title is called, Are You Ready? Let's go ahead and take a look at this passage from Revelation 22, the very last chapter in the Bible. But let's take a look from Revelation 22. We'll pick up with verse 12. And, and this, of course, the revelation, this is the, the vision that the Apostle John had while he was uh, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, and how you know, God revealed so many things to him. I guess, you know, on the Isle of Patmos, he was in exile. There wasn't a whole lot else to do. Uh, so he really prayed, and God began to show him things, and he wrote those things down in the book of Revelation. And it says this, and this, these are the words of Jesus, Behold, I am coming soon, and I am bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, so that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word to us today, and Lord, we, we pray that your hand be upon us as we gather today, Father, that you will keep us safe, that you will keep us from harm, 
And, and Lord, that you will help us during this, the, the midst of, of all the stuff that's going on around us. And Father, we know that even in the midst of the panic, that, that you are on your throne, that you are still in control and you have not left us, you have not gone anywhere. Father, I just pray that you will help us to, uh, to, to open our hearts to you, to how you would speak to us. And Father, I pray especially now in the next few moments that you would open our hearts and speak to us in such a way that we examine our hearts and that we um, see where we are in our relationship with you. And when we ask that question, are you ready? We ask ourselves that question and that we hopefully by the end of the day can absolutely positively say without a doubt, we are ready. We are ready for what's to come. We are ready for you. And Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, you know, ever since the day that Jesus ascended back into heaven, he's been on his way back. He promised, you know, he presented himself, remember, after the resurrection. If you go back and, and study scripture, you'll know that, that after Jesus was resurrected, you know, and Easter is coming up soon, and Resurrection Sunday, that day that we uh, celebrate Jesus stepping out of the tomb. But ever since he was resurrected, he, he came back, and he first for 40 days he appeared to the apostles and, and the disciples and those who were his followers after the resurrection. And then after that, he went out on the hill and he ascended back up into heaven. And, and ever since that day, he went into heaven. We knew there was a promise that he's going to return. Now, the thing is, we don't know when he's coming back. We don't know when Jesus is returning. In, in Acts 1-7, it says very clearly right here, Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So in other words, I'm coming back, but we're not telling you when. Now, now here's the thing. No one is intended to know that day or the hour. Uh, and again, even in Matthew 24, 36, it says no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven. Those who are hanging out in heaven with, with God right now, the angels, uh, they don't know either. So they don't know when Jesus is going to return. And, and the thing is, over the years, there have been many groups from all different walks of life and all different sects that have claimed that they knew that the end of the world was upon us. I did a little research on this, and if you can trust to the information you get from Wikipedia anyway, it goes all the way back from the, I found this interesting uh, article, and it went all the way back really into the first century. And we know that because even in the Bible, we found that Jesus' followers, um, after he had ascended back in heaven, there were Jesus' followers who thought that Jesus was coming back even in that first century. Even in the early days of Christianity, they thought that Jesus was going to return to the earth. Obviously, that was a long time ago, and he's still not come yet. But over the years, pretty much every century, there are people who step up and they claim that Jesus is coming back. And interestingly enough, even in this century, even in the 21st century, what we find in the previous one, we find that there are people who are God-believers, who are God-followers, God-fearing people who have made claims about Christ coming back. And of course, when that date comes and passes, they're going, oh, wait a minute, I was wrong. Hang on. Let me step back and, and rethink this. No, it, it's not October 20th, 1982. No, it's, it's going to be, you know, and then there would be another date and they would project another one out in the future. So people have speculated. And, and there are a lot of people really who should know better who have made claims about Christ's return, about Christ coming back. But the reality is, is that no one knows for sure. And anytime someone says that it's going to happen, you can be pretty certain that it's not going to happen on that date. Uh, because, again, no one will know the day and the hour. It will come like a thief in the night. How many of you here remember what happened when we crossed over into, when we changed millenniums, you know, 
and, and the big Y2K scare. Okay, Any, anybody remember that? It's hard to believe that was 20 years ago. Oh my gosh, I'm getting old. That means some of you are really old. Uh, but you know, we went through this whole big Y2K thing and, and people were saying, oh, the world's going to fall apart and, <clears throat> and what's going to happen because our computers aren't designed to, to do you know, all these kinds of things and, and how much the world's electronic and digital and computerized and, and everything's going to crash. Do you remember where you, anybody who remembers back that far, remember where you were? Some of you may have been in a place spiritually where you don't remember anything. <laughs> you know, but do you remember where you were? Actually, I thought, you know, I, I do remember I was with a group of, uh, it was actually the Sunday school class that I was a part of 20 years ago, and, and we were actually having a Sunday school gathering. We thought, well, what better to get together on New Year's Eve, and if we're all going out, we may as well go out together, right? And so we had, and we prayed in the new year, and gosh, you know what? We crossed midnight, the new millennium came, the, we were in the 2000s, and wow, it was pretty much the same as it had been. Nothing really changed. And so we came through this, this craze, but all these people, all these naysayers, and they were saying all these things are going to happen. But you know, as followers of Christ, no Christian should have bought into what some of the so-called experts out there were saying. In 1 Thessalonians 5.2, says this, And the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And what's the thing about thieves? They don't want you to know they're coming. They don't want you to know that they're getting ready to do what they're getting ready to do. It will come like a thief in the night. Again, no one will know. Now, there's been a lot of talk, too, about the rapture. Is that a term anybody here is familiar with? Anybody know what the rapture means? Rapture is not one of those terms. It's not a specific biblical term, uh, but it means caught up, as in the clouds, especially after uh, the Left Behind series of books came out. Anybody remember those? A big, huge book. I think we've got, there were 12 in the series, and there's all or 16 in the series, I mean, in all 16 books uh, right there. Uh, the first one, the biggest one, though, the, the first one that was just simply called Left Behind. And, and people began to read those. And, and uh, LaHaye and Jenkins, the authors, you know, they really tried to base this fictionalized account of the end times on Scripture. And they, they really uh, had a, a thought and a mindset about what they wrote, and they were very deliberate. Um, now, we talk about the rapture, and we talk about what that means, and we're not here today to talk about what your specific viewpoint is, or that term there that's used is called uh, dispensationalism, and, and we're not talking about today, we're not concerned about your dispensationalism, and that means whether Christ's return is two events, whether there's a rapture and a second coming, or, you know, the people will, will talk about whether you're a pre-millennial or a post-millennial, whether the rapture will happen after the thousand-year reign, or the rapture happens after, before the thousand-year reign, um, when I was growing up, my pastor at my home church, he, he never wanted to get into what his beliefs were on, on all the end time stuff. And, and pre-millennial, post-millennial, he would say he was a pan-millennial. He said, because it's all going to pan out in the end. That's, that was his view take on it. So it doesn't matter because God's in control and it's all going to be fine. So whether you think about it in those terms or whether you think this thing known as the tribulation uh, takes place, you know, we, th that's a discussion for a different day, and we can sort those things out at another time. But regardless of where you are as far as dispensationally, know that the Lord is coming. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, it says, Then we who are alive, we who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Again, regardless of how you see it dispensationally, let me tell you something. 
There are a lot of things that we don't know, and there's a lot of uncertainties that we have about our life, about what's going on around us, about the, the stock market, about what's happening with this coronavirus pandemic, and all those things, and lots of an unanswered questions. But I can tell you unequivocally, without a doubt, 100% this, and that is Jesus is coming back. The Lord is coming, and the Scripture is very clear. He is coming, and He is bringing His reward with Him. That's what we just read in, in Revelation 22. I will give everyone to according, according to their deed. So it's about storing up rewards in heaven. Uh, you know, if you claim Christ as your Lord, then, then you are living in such a way, or the question is, are you living in such a way as to make a difference in the lives of others? Are you seeking out those around you who need Jesus? And what do you do to make a difference? Because what you do does make a difference. Now, understand that only those who have been washed in the blood will receive His reward. And, of course, the greatest reward that we can receive is heaven itself. And that is heaven being in the eternal presence of God. Heaven is a paradise. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I, I struggled with these ideas of heaven. I think it's because it was presented to me um, you know, I'd seen the pictures, I'd seen maybe, maybe presentations in movies or depictions in movies. You see heaven and you see people kind of floating on clouds or, or maybe the cartoons or people sitting around or angels floating around on clouds strumming harps and wings and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The problem is, is that the picture that heaven uh, or is painted about heaven for us in Scripture is very different. It's, it's nothing really like that. Because as a kid, uh, my thought was, so what is heaven going to be like? Are we just going to all sit around on clouds and we're all going to pray and we're going to have one big continual forever church service? Is that what it's going to be like? And so, so that was kind of my thought. I'm like, you know, and as a kid, I'm like, I don't want to be sacrilegious or disrespectful or anything like that. But man, don't we get to play outside? <laughs> don't we get to climb a tree somewhere? Don't we get to build stuff? And hang out with friends. Don't we get to do that too? Because again, my mindset was this is one big, continual, eternal worship service. But I think the thing was, is as a kid, when I thought worship service, I thought that's what we do when we get together on Sunday. We get together and we sing some songs and somebody would preach and, and we'd talk and we'd go to Sunday school and all those things were kind of our normal Sunday. And that's what I thought about. But as I grew older and as I grew in the faith, what I began to realize is that worship is not just about gathering together. That's an important part of who we are and what we do, but it's so much more than that. So what is heaven? Heaven's about living in the continual presence of God with the absence of any kind of evil or any kind of other influence other than the influence of God. It's about living in the light of God for all time, for all time, for all eternity. So as I got older, my understanding of what heaven looked like became very different. Now, I'm going to tell you uh, something else here, and, and hopefully you realize this and you know this already, but, you know, I see those Facebook posts. You know those ones that someone has a, a friend or a relative that, that passes away. And, you know, in their attempting to deal with grief and, and so on and so forth, you know, they ask for prayer and they said, well, last night my great aunt passed away at such and such time. Heaven gained another angel. And I smile and cringe at the same time. The reason is this, we are not angels. The Bible is very clear that angels are a different creation. And somewhere along the line, through 
media, through literature, through other avenues, many people have come to understand that when people die, that they become angels. Well, were you an angel before you died? Well, some people might say yes. Some people might say no way. But the fact is, is that the angels are created differently. They are separate beings. Uh, So when we die, we don't become angels. We continue on because we're the same as who we are. You know, so, so that's, again, why it's so important that we understand that part of us that continues to live forever, this, this body, this shell, this one that's uh, susceptible to, to sickness and disease and death, uh, that, that body shall pass away. But, but the spirit that is within us, that continues. That's an eternal aspect of who we are. And so what we do and what we decide here in this life, in this earth, that decides about our soul, that spirit within us, of where we reside eternally. So that's what's so important. And we know that, uh, that when we find our way into heaven, we know that we will be given a new spiritual body, a body that is beyond sickness, beyond death, beyond any infirmities or difficulties that our bodies may have right now. None of that will exist. We will be given a perfect body. So heaven is in our perfection, but it's not about having church all the time either. You know, think about some of the most joyous things that you can imagine. And then even as joyous and as wonderful as it is in your mind, we've only begun to scratch the surface because that's what being in God's presence for all eternity really is. It's about understanding God's joy 100% all the time, amped up to about 100 you know, Scripture is very clear about what's going to happen as far as the, the fact that Jesus is coming back. It will happen. There will come a time when Jesus will return. And I'm going to go so far without making predictions here that it's going to be soon. Now, let's determine what soon means when we're talking about someone who is timeless. And, and really, uh, you can't do it. There is no way. There is no way to have a full understanding of what that means. The only reason that I say soon is because today we are one day closer than we were yesterday. That's why I have no, you know, again, I'm, I'm not making any claims about a date or anything like that. I'm just saying that we're closer than we were, one day closer. You know, again, first century Christians, they thought it was going to happen in their lifetime. They thought that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. But we're talking about a timeless entity in God. We're talking about a a timeless understanding that's really difficult for us as followers of Christ uh, in our present state, in our present state of mind. It's really difficult for us to fully understand. One of the things I want you to understand today is this. As we talk about these ideas of moving into a future with God, uh, of moving into heaven, of moving into all eternity, I want you to understand one thing. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Y'all get that? I'm starting to get the language down, you know, as I'm back in Kentucky now. Because, uh, uh, you know, you've got that big red and white tower over there by the Florence Mall, y'all. Right? So, y'all, y'all get that, right? Jesus is the only way to heaven. The only way to get there is to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Jesus, actually in John 3, in the story about Jesus uh, meeting with Nicodemus, the Pharisee who came to him under cover of the night, Jesus used the term born again. So we need to be born again, people. 
that's the only way. Jesus explains that he is speaking of being born of the Spirit because, again, in that story, Nicodemus was, was confused. He says, what do you mean born again? It's impossible for me to go back into my mother's womb and be physically born again. And he says, no, you're to be born of the Spirit, born again. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the Jesus that we worship. That's the Jesus that we must believe in. And that's the Jesus who brings us salvation. There is no other way. On the day of Pentecost, Peter, after Jesus had ascended back up into heaven, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he preached these words we find in Acts 2.38. He says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I see as followers of Jesus Christ, I'm hoping that every one of us here today believes that and believes that with on beyond a shadow of a doubt. But I'm going to tell you something that we're dealing with when we talk about coming to know Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus is the only way. And that is this, that culture will proclaim many ways. You know, there are people out there who say, well, for you to come up and tell me that Jesus is the only way to heaven, well, well that's being, that's hateful. Isn't that a word that people like to throw around when, they, when we disagree with something that they believe? Oh, well, that's just being hateful. Or, or that's being intolerant. How can you be so intolerant? People, I didn't make this stuff up. I didn't make the rules. You know, this, this is the creator of the universe. These are the things that he set down. And he said, look, I want you. I love you. I want you to be with me for all eternity. But to be with me for all eternity, here's how that happens. You accept my son as your salvation, as your grace. And, and it's only through Jesus Christ. He becomes the only way to get to me. Jesus himself said that. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. I don't care what culture says. I don't care what anyone else says out there. You know, the only way to be ready, the only way to be ready for Jesus' return is to know Jesus. It's not about knowing Buddha or Muhammad or any of those others out there, those other world religions that talk about, and, and maybe they do some great things, and maybe they talk about peace, and maybe they have some, some wonderful philosophies, but the problem is, is that they ain't got Jesus. You see, Jesus is the only risen Savior. He's the only one that, that experienced death, and he got up and walked out of the grave. Jesus did what no one else could do. And there's a lot of great words out there, and, and there are a lot of people who, who really enjoy the words of someone like Billy Graham or, or Rick Warren or Charles Swindoll or, or something like that. But I'm going to tell you, listening to Joel Osteen ain't going to get it. It takes a personal relationship to Jesus Christ. Only Jesus. I don't care what Oprah says. I don't care what Dr. Phil says. I don't care what any of those talking heads on television have to say. God's Word says it all. Jesus is the only way. Somebody give me an amen right there. Amen. All right. Now, how does this work? How do I go about getting a relationship to Jesus Christ? I hope that if you're here today that you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. But if not, it's a very simple process. You know, it's about, first of all, it's the ABCs. It's, first of all, it's about admitting. We've got to admit that we are a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we are a sinner... We don't deserve anything good because Paul also writes in Romans 6.23, he says, For the wages of sin is death. And that's not just physical death, that's spiritual death. And spiritual death is separation 
from God, is spending an eternity without God. That's the true death. That's what Paul is talking about. You know, for some people, we, just, we have a hard time just admitting where we are. I would guess, and, and this is maybe a presupposition on my part, and I, but I would guess that no one in here is perfect. You know, if you are and you want to make that claim right now, you're welcome to go ahead and stand up and, and make that claim, wave your perfect banner if you want. That's okay. But, but my guess is that really nobody in here is willing to stand up and make that claim that they are perfect. You see, we all, Scripture is very clear, we all fall short of the glory of God. And the thing is, because we are broken, because we are sinners, there is nothing that we can do on our own to earn our way into heaven. Unlike what Led Zeppelin said, you cannot buy a stairway to heaven. It is not possible. There is not enough money in the world to buy a stairway to heaven. No, the only way to get there is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it starts by admitting that we've got a problem, admitting that we are a sinner, admitting that we are less than perfect. You know, sin seems so harsh. And for us just to say, I am a sinner, it may be hard. It may be a difficult thing for us to do. But that's where it starts. It starts by saying, yes, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I am a sinner in need of God's grace. And then the B of the ABCs is this, believe. And that is believing that Jesus is who he says he is. You see, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus came to take away our sins on the cross. Jesus came to save the world when he offered up his life in sacrifice. And Jesus then got up and walked out of the grave so that we might find victory over the grave through his own resurrection and the promise of our resurrection as well when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we accept that we're a sinner and believe that he is who he says he is. And then the C is confess. Confess Jesus as Lord. Lord, that word Lord Although we think about Jesus in terms of our church speak, Lord is defined as master, ruler, or head of a household. So who's the head of your spiritual household? Now, physically in the home, spiritually speaking, scripturally speaking, a husband is the spiritual head of the household. But overall, who is Lord and master of your home? Is that Jesus Christ? Confessing Jesus makes him master of your life. It makes, him, uh, it, it makes him the the Lord of all that you do. In other words, it's about giving our life to him uh, because our life is not our own. When we accept Jesus Christ, um, that offer of grace that's offered to us, it's free. It doesn't cost us anything to say, yes, Jesus, I want to make you Lord of my life. But yet it's not cheap because it means that we give up our lives to him because we are no longer our own. Who we are is based on whose we are. Did you catch that? We're playing with pronouns there and we're playing with words. Who we are is based on whose we are. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it means that we are a son or daughter of the risen king. You see, Romans 6.23, the second half of that verse that starts off the wages of sin is death, it says then this, but... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eternal life 
is based on our knowledge, our personal knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Lord. So now let's play a little game. Anybody like the what-if game? We play this at our house a lot, not always intentionally, because we got a lot of kids that ask a lot of questions. Well, what, what about, what if this happened? What do you think if this happened? What if dragons were real? What if I had a pet dragon? What if there was an elephant in the backyard? You know, things like that. You ever played those games? Well, this one's a little more serious. And let me ask you this question. What if Jesus came back tonight? Would that be okay with you? Are you ready? Again, that's the question we're asking today. Are you ready? So if Jesus came back tonight, are you ready for that? There's a song that came out years and years ago. It was actually, a, I remember it from as a camp song, one of those kinds of songs. Um, and, and then... Um, Let's see, DC Talk redid it some years ago, quite a few years ago. Anybody remember DC Talk by any chance? Uh, but, but some years ago, DC Talk redid this song. And the song is, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. Anybody remember that song? Uh, anybody remember that song? It's like three of you. Okay, good. Um, but that song actually, it, it relates to this idea of the, rea- re- the rapture, relates to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 40 through 41, when it says, Then two men will be in the field. And one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken and one left. So what I thought I would do is, uh, since, since most of you don't know that song, I thought, what a great opportunity to teach you a song about that. And if you know this, the lyrics or know the words to this song, you are more than welcome to sing along. Again, it's a song called I Wish We'd All Been Ready. And it's, to me, it's, it's even as a kid, and I remember hearing this song, doing it camp and in youth group and all that kind of stuff. Let's see, I think this is on, yeah. Even as a kid, I remember, and I remember the words being very powerful. So I hope that you will get that today, just the, the, powerful, the powerful words of this song. I wish we'd all been ready. Life was filled with guns and war. Everyone got trampled on the floor I wish we'd all been ready Children died, the days grew cold A piece of bread would buy a bag of gold I wish we'd all been ready There's no time to change your mind The sun has come and you've been left behind Man and wife asleep in bed She hears a noise and turns her head He's gone I wish we'd all been ready Two men walking up a hill One disappears and one's left standing still I wish we'd all been ready There's no time to change your mind The sun has come and you've been left behind The father spoke, the demons dying How could you have been so blind? There's no time to change your mind The sun has come and you've been left behind There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come 
and you've been left behind. I hope we'll all be ready. I hope we'll all be ready. So pretty powerful words, right? Pretty powerful words. I hope we'll all be ready. You know, that idea of being left behind, I hope that strikes a chord with you, the finality of what that means. What that means is there's going to come a moment when Jesus returns and now it's too late. How many of us would admit to being procrastinators? Some of you are procrastinating, raising your hand. And maybe tomorrow you'll say, well, I guess I'm a procrastinator. You know, sometimes I think some of us just kind of in our nature. We think, well, I'll get to that later. I'll put that off. I'll make that decision and do that another time. Let me tell you, this is one decision that we cannot procrastinate about. If you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then what are you waiting for? Do not put that off. Or it'll be like in the song, it'll be too late and you will be left behind. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to your family. Don't let that happen to your friends. Don't let that happen to anyone that you know. Make sure that everyone knows this truth, this truth about Jesus, the truth that having Jesus in your heart is the only way to God. Again, it's not about knowing in your mind. It's not about head knowledge. It's about heart knowledge. It's about knowing Jesus through a heartfelt, come-to-Jesus-meeting type experience. I mean, even the Scripture is clear that even the demons knew Jesus, but that wasn't going to save them. It was too late for them. It's not about walking the aisle at church. It's not about... about church attendance. It's not about coming forward and say, hey, look at me. No, it's about giving our lives to Jesus. Now, the thing is, we have no guarantee. Life is fleeting. And whether Jesus comes back before we get finished here this morning, whether your life comes to an end before you wake up in the morning, are you good with that? You see, because I've given my life to Jesus Christ, I have no fear of death, and pretty much no fear of most anything. Because Jesus gives me peace. Now, I'd like to think that, that uh, I have a few more years left here on this earth, as most of us would. And that may very well be the case. But again, there are no guarantees. But whatever happens, I'm ready to face. Why? Because I know Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. And because of the security of the Holy Spirit that is within me, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt when my physical life here ends, my new journey in the presence of God begins. And that's because I know Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. I'm ready. Are you? Why don't you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this reminder of that you're coming back. You're sending Jesus back to the earth. He is coming again. And Lord, at that time, it will be too late. But we also know that we have no guarantees in this life. We have no guarantees about where we, whether or not we draw our next breath, about what happens tomorrow, about what happens next week or what happens next year. But Lord, we know that you are already there in that moment and that nothing surprises you. Lord, we just pray that you will, you will help us today as we seek to 
to live a life that is pleasing to you. But, Father, that we need to make that decision. If we have not done that, Lord, that, that there is no time like the present. There is no time like the now to step up and say, I give my life to Jesus Christ. So, Father, Lord, we just love you. We thank you that you sent Jesus, that we might know salvation, that we might know an eternity with you. And, Father, that, that we might know beyond a shadow of a doubt where our future lies. And that is an eternity in paradise, in heaven, with you. Father, we thank you so much. But, Father, I pray that you will help us when we are certain and we are ready. I pray that you will help us to, to gain some, some passion and to gain a, 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 just a, a, a heart sickness for those around us who don't know Jesus, for those around us who have failed to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and that we do our best to love them, to love on them, and share the good news of Jesus Christ with them in whatever way that we might make possible. Father, I just, again, thank you so much. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there be anyone here who can say that they don't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, that today might be the day that they turn their life over, they admit they're a sinner, they believe, and they confess Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. Father, I just... Pray that you will open the doors, Father, as we seek to build your kingdom and do our part to make a difference in this community right here. It's in Jesus' name we pray it all. Amen.